when I was a kid, um, the the because I was an overweight kid, right? When I was you know in Korea, and when I was in early '80s Korea, everyone was like really poor, right? Because Korea wasn't developed, and me, I came when I came back to Korea while living in America for a few years, I was very well, well, well fed, right? Hershey chocolates and McDonald's, they did it work on me, right? And I was a very plump kid when I was elementary school, right? As I hit puberty, plump kid, right? So when I was a kid, the greatest insult that you can give me was to call me fat, right? Even now, if you call me fat, oh, you got to leave the church, right? But that was like when I was a kid. And it was, as I was growing up, another insult that in my heart was greater, had a greater negative effect in me than my physical appearance was my intelligence. Now, well, not now, because I don't really care because I'm old, but when I was in my younger years, like in my 20s, the greatest insult that you can tell me is that if you tell me that I'm stupid, if you, if you, if you, Tell me that I am intellectually deficient. Oh, you got to leave the church. Because in my mind, being stupid is like the worst. But I realized this week, or the last couple of weeks, being stupid is the worst has biblical basis to it. Being stupid, or Pastor Wynja doesn't like the word stupid, being foolish, right? Has a being foolish, the Bible condemns it. It's not just a bad insult. Being foolish has negative, dangerous consequences to, to it. So there are two things that I've been obsessed about in the last couple of weeks. The first thing that I was obsessed about is the book of Proverbs. I'm doing my quiet time in the book of Proverbs. So I listen, every morning I listen to Proverbs, like I, I do three chapters of Proverbs a day, and I listen to it over and over and over again. I, I listen to it when I walk, I listen to it when I lift, I listen to it when I pray. I listen to the three chapters of the book of Proverbs every day over and over and over again. And what I realized listening to the book of Proverbs, reading the book of Proverbs, is the book of Proverbs is clear. If you're a wise person, then you will live. But if you're a foolish person, you will die. If you're a wise person, the proverb says, there will be flourishing, there will be blessings to your life, right? For example, a wise person, proverb says, uses words that give gentle, life-giving instruction. A wise person, if a person is wise, his or her words are gentle, life-giving instruction. Our words can be used to give life to people. A wise person loves righteousness. They love to do what is right. Not what is most pleasurable or not what is most beneficial. The wise person loves doing what is right. The wise person, he or she has strong, united families. Proverbs 24, verses 34, By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious, precious and pleasant riches. He's saying, 
a wise person builds a solid, strong, healthy family. A wise person, the proverb says, treat other people fairly. Using your words to give life to people, right? Um, live, choosing to do right things in this world. Having strong families, right? Treating others fairly. If, you, if, we, if we live like that, our lives here will be a source of blessing and flourishing. But there are danger, but on, on the flip side, there's a danger of being a fool. And that's what Proverbs also testifies. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are snared to, the, to his soul. Proverbs 18.7. He's saying a foolish person uses his or her own mouth, whatever, however they wish, and their mouth are a source of destruction and death in their life. A foolish person do not listen to advice. They think they know it all, they heard it all, the perception is right. Therefore, a foolish person has no room in her, his or her own life for instruction. The foolish person hates justice. The foolish person loves division and destruction. The foolish person lies all the time. The foolish person is easily enticed by sin. If you live foolishly, you will reap the harvest of death. That's what Proverbs testifies over and over again. If you live wisely, you will reap a harvest of blessing, of life, of strength. But if you live foolishly, it is destruction. It is ruin. You are an agent of death. Whoa. So being foolish, being stupid, has negative consequences as we live our lives. In fact, maybe all the, all, the, all the sins of the world and all the things that makes this world unpleasant, it's because people are stupid. Let's, just, let's use the word stupid today, just to, to, to harp it in there. They make foolish Stupid decisions. They use their words. They use their lips for lies. They hate justice. They're in it for themselves. They hate righteousness. Right? They love to celebrate me. And when, they, when celebrating me means they hate what is right. Right? Families are sacrificed. Everything in our, in our lives, resources we use for our own good. The world is going to hell because people are dangerously stupid. Let me ask you, and let me ask me. The fruit of your lives right now, are you reaping the harvest of wisdom or are you reaping the heart of foolishness? How do you know what harvest are you reaping? Look at your, that's what we're going to talk about today. The evidence of wisdom or foolishness is seen from your personal relationships, how you treat other people. 
in the way you treat other people, are you reaping the harvest of foolishness or wisdom? We're going to see today, right, that when the only way that we can be wise and reap the harvest of wisdom, it is the way we become wise is for us to be connected to the source of true wisdom, which is God. If we are not connected to God, who is the source of wisdom, then by default, we're fools. That's what the Bible says. Once again, wisdom is different from intelligence, right? You can be the most brilliant person in the world and still be stupid. For example, look at the wealthiest, the most powerful, the most beautiful people in the world. The Bill Gates and the, are they my client? I can't, okay, let's look at the business tycoons of the world and the movie stars of the world and the wealthiest people of the world. They do amazing, innovative things. But that's not the measurement of their wisdom. The measurement of their wisdom is their family life. And a lot of them are divorced. That shows it doesn't matter how intelligent you are. It doesn't make, intelligence doesn't make you wise. An Ivy League degree doesn't make you wise. Only being connected to the source of wisdom, who is, which, is, who is, which is God himself, makes you wise. Are you with me so far? Okay, no one's sleeping yet. Good. Break your time, Sean. So what is wisdom? What is biblical wisdom? We talked about this two weeks ago, and we're going to remind. I'm going to remind you. Biblical wisdom is moral conduct, making right or making right decisions, and the skills of deciding practical matters in life based on, on a person's awareness of God. Basically, wisdom is your mind knows God, is amazed by God, is moved by God. You know God exists, and every decision you make is based upon this understanding of who God is. Right? Last night, I had a eureka moment as I was praying for y'all. I said, Lord, all of us are foolish. Some people came into my mind. I'm not going to tell who. A lot of people are, some people are, a lot of people are fools in our, there's a lot of fools in our church, Lord. But the way these fools become wise, the way stupid PJ becomes wise, is for, my, for our minds to be filled with the praise of God. Like Psalm 8 says, when our minds are filled with the praise of God because we understand him, when we go, when we look at God and say, wow, on a regular basis, and if all our decisions are made as we are aware of wowness of God, then the decisions that we make based on our wowness of God is wisdom. Are you with me? Really? You're with me, right? So, Wisdom is making right decisions, making practical decisions, using your words based on your understanding of the wowness of God. That is what fear of the Lord is. And you know what? I was examining, I was like, I was examining the people of our, of our church, and there are people who are really choosing to, to, to do life based on their wowness of God. I know 
right? Do I know this person? Oh, yeah. Someone told me, right? Someone told me. Like, you know, there are, she's not here right now, so it's, not, it's none of you. She was telling me the other day, she was like tempted to complain about things not going well for her. Then she caught herself from complaining because she was reminded of God. That's what she told me. That's wisdom. Don't you see? I want to complain. Life is not going the way that I want to. But God in her mind. She goes, she said, yeah, I can't complain. That's wisdom. Right? I know a couple. It's, it's a very hard thing that they're doing. They're having obstacles in their relationship. But rather than giving up, they're choosing to walk together and to do the right thing. Why? Because they have, they know God and try, they try to live under God's reality. I, will, I told one of them, hey man, you don't have to do this. You can leave. Right? You can leave, man. There's, no, there's something legally attaching you to do this. Me being a lawyer. Right? You're not legally obligated. There's no duty of care for you to do this, I said. But he's doing it anyway. Because he's aware of God. I know a husband who's trying his best to love his wife. Because he's aware of God. Such people amongst our midst are examples of wise people. They struggle. They do. They come talk to me when they struggle. They, they struggle. But there is a projection, a desire to walk in the light of the awareness of God. That makes them wise. How about you this morning? Are you walking? Living, making decisions based upon the wowness of God in your life? Or is the wowness of God totally vacant from your life? You may label yourself as Christian. For whatever reason, you may label yourself as a Christian. But if you're not living with, if you're not making decisions based upon the wowness of God in your life, you are a fool. The decisions that you make are foolish. My wife, I, I was like telling my wife what I'm going to preach. And she said, you've got to be very careful, right? So let me be more careful. If you don't live in the wildness of God, you are dangerously, we are living dangerously stupid. That's not very loving, but that's true. The Bible is clear. If you're not living in the awareness, if you're not walking in the fear of the Lord, then you're living a life of dangerous foolishness. Right? What's a, another way to think about salvation is he takes people who are once fools, who are totally ignorant of God, and through the ministry of, the, of Jesus Christ, he takes these fools and God opens their eyes to the wildness of God so that they will be wise. Another way to think about salvation is he makes foolish people wise. Are you wise this morning? Is the trajectory of your life wisdom? Or is it foolishness? Making great time here. James chapter 3, 13 to 18, is about the source of true wisdom. He's talking about 
the source of worldly wisdom, the source of foolishness, and the source of heavenly wisdom. Important thing to know, what James is saying here is, number one, the source of wisdom doesn't come from within you. Unlike the message, the constant message of Disney+, Plus, which says, the power is within you, James is saying, no, 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 the power isn't within you. Wisdom is not within you. Love is not within you. It's not. Believe in yourself. Disney Plus says, believe in yourself. No, 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 James says, no, no, don't believe in yourself. Believe in the source that is outside of yourself to gain wisdom. That's why I don't subscribe to Disney Plus, by the way. Because that, that message over and over again, it just, I'm going to throw up, right? That's not very loving, but that's the truth. Biblical wisdom is tapping into God. Like I said, like I gave the example of Alistair Beck's sermons, right? Alistair Beck's definition of God, I'm sorry, definition of wisdom. A person who is wise has a very high view of God. Wow. <gasps> they have a wide understanding of God and a deep relationship with him through fellowship and prayer. They have a high view, a realistic, not just Sunday school, but just every day, a realistic high view of God. And a wise person also has a very sober understanding of themselves. They don't think of themselves primarily in the way they think who they are, but they look at themselves in the light of the highness of God. The, the, the earthly person looks at themselves. What am I feeling? What am I feeling? I don't know who I am. That's the worldly person. A wise person first looks up and go, wow, and then they look inside to, to know who they are. Am I Understand? Comprende? Right? Biblical person is, wow, and then you look inside. Not you look inside and get lost. The wise person has a high view of God, a sober understanding of themselves, but also a generous view of others. High view of God, sober view of themselves, and a generous, loving, understanding view of other people. Why? Because God saved a person like me. And if God saved someone like me, how can I not be generous to the people around me? That's biblical wisdom, being connected to God. Source of biblical wisdom comes from our connection to God. Source of earthly wisdom, Paul said, or James says, in what, what verse are we? What verse is James says? Verse 15. This is not the wisdom that comes down from heaven. He's talking, verse 15, he's talking about the wisdom of the world. Earthly wisdom Okay, like non-godly wisdom is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. He's saying there are two wisdoms of the world. First wisdom comes from God. The second type of wisdom comes from the earth. Verse 15, the non-godly wisdom is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Earthly means the wisdom that is not from God only is from this earth. It's not from heaven. It's from this earth. It's the philosophies and the values and whatever 
you know, ideas that comes from this earth. So wisdom of the earth only, it only deals with the matters confined to this earth. Non-godly wisdom is only focused on things that are happening to you in this earth. That's what, me, that's what it means to be earthy. It is unspiritual. Unspiritual means wisdom from this earth has no interest in the, thing, in the spiritual things of God. Earthly wisdom only cares about the opposite of, the, the, another word for unspiritual means the person from this earth only cares about the senses they experience in this earth. How they feel, right? How they think. Blah, blah, blah. So like, they're not interested in the things of God. The people of this earth is, are only interested in gaining things of this earth, right? And satisfying their senses in this earth. People who are not godly wise focus only on their concerns in this world. And James is saying that kind of wisdom is earthly, unspiritual, because he doesn't care anything about God, and it's also demonic. You know what the devil cares about more than anything else? For you to be focused only on the things of this earth. Did you know that? The devil's primary mission is for you and me to only think about what is happening to us in this earth, in this time. How do you know? The way he tempted Jesus. Jesus, you hungry. There's that rock over there. Turn that rock into bread. Focus on your needs, Jesus. Focus on your physical needs, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Going to the cross is important, but Jesus, focus on your needs right now. You hungry. You need bread. Live for the bread. He takes Jesus up into the mountain, and he shows the kingdom of the world. He says, all this kingdom of the world belongs to me. I will give you this kingdom of this world if you bow down to me, Jesus. Yeah, 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 heavenly kingdom is important, but Jesus, right now, you don't have to go to the cross. I'll just give the kingdom of the world, this world, to you. That's how he tempts you and me. What matters, guys, Satan will say, is how well you're doing career-wise here. What matters, guys, is whether you're happy in this life. What, what matters, guys, is whether your kids get into UVA. Let, 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 I'm being more realistic now. Harvard is like too expensive and not worth it. So look about, let's localize it. What matters is your kids get into UVA. Right? That's what matters. What matters now is how effective you feel in this life right now. Satan is confining you to only think about your interest here. Yesterday, because I'm such a good husband, my wife wants a new car. And I go, baby, you raised our son right, right? And you, like, that's how I said. I, that's how I talked to my wife. Baby, you, talk to, you raised our kids right? You are a fantastic wife, right? So you know what? You deserve our luxury car, I said. She said, oh, really? And I said, yeah, baby, let's go. So we went to the Genesis dealer. Because, you know, I don't want to 
driving Mercedes. We have that's you know something about pastor driving Mercedes, right? Let's be let's be humble, luxurious about it. Humble luxury, right? Humble luxury is Genesis, right? So we went to the Genesis dealer, and we did a test drove. Oh, that that dealer was smart. He took us. We, I said we're looking for the Genesis GV70, right? And he said okay, and he took us. And there's like four classes to the Genesis GV70. Guess which one he took us to? The prestige class, right? Koreans love the word prestige. The prestige class, the highest model. And we got into that sucker. Oh my, Lanta, what a car, right? You don't even have like, like you know, like the way you shift gears, it's like a knob, <gasps> right? It has cameras all over the car. You can view all over. It's wonderful. And, and, and the leather? It said Italian diamond Napa leather. I have no idea what Italian Napa leather is, but it sounds, it's so comfortable. And you're driving it. And I feel so proud to be a Korean, right? I go, man, Korean, man. I want to eat kimchi now, right? So it's so great, Korean. And then after my praise of Koreans, there's a voice in my head, you want this car, man? Hey, man, you want this car? It's $65,000. And I go, I can do it. Right? Yeah, you can do it. Do it. I'm not going to do it, man. $65,000. What am I going to drive a $65,000 car for? I told my wife, baby, you're not going to drive a $65,000 car. But I feel the influence. This is a thing of beauty. You want it. You need it. You should get it. The, immediate, the temptation for the immediate. Satan has you if you're focusing on what is immediate. And this also applies not only through material things, but it also applies even the good things that we do in this world. There are unbelievers who do a lot of charitable works. They do. But even if they do charitable works, if they're not connected to godly wisdom, if they are not doing their work based upon the wowness of God, then even their good works are based on worldly wisdom, which ultimately will be foolish. Biblical wisdom means be connected to the source of wisdom, who is God himself. Understand? We're making good time, Sean. Verses, the remainder of chapter, verses 16, 17, and 18, shows us what? a person who's connected to the wildness of God looks like. Verse, I mean, all, like, let's go to verse 13. We briefly review, right? The person who is wise and who is wise, who is connected to God, first of all, the way you know that they're connected to God is if they do good conduct. If they, conduct means everyday living. If their everyday living is comprised of doing good for people, then that's evidence that you're connected to heavenly wisdom. Da, 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 da. Verse 15. 
No. Verse 17. The, the person who is connected to, to God, to, 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 to the oneness of God, is first of all, is first, first is pure, he says. So the person who is connected to God conducts himself, his or herself by doing good works. And second, this person is pure. What does the word pure mean, hear me? It means, pure means not contaminated by worldly wisdom. And worldly, worldly wisdom, which results in, self, verse 16, selfish amb- jealousy and selfish ambition. In verse 17, James is saying, the person who is connected to biblical, God's wisdom is pure. He or she is pure from earthly demonic wisdom that results in jealousy and selfish ambition. That's what we talked about two weeks ago. If you want more definition of what these two things are, I suggest you go listen. But basically, look, I said worldly wisdom is confined to your, our interest in this world in this particular time. If a person, if the person is only focused on getting things in this life, then the natural result of that person is jealousy, which is resentment. Right? Jealousy basically means resentment here. Or selfish ambition. They're in it to gain the things of this world. Heavenly wisdom is pure from this. Earthly wisdom, people saying, I'm in it for myself, therefore I'm going to resent someone who hurt me. I'm going to resent someone who, who have what I have, or who, who have what I want, and I'm going to live for myself. Such a person is wholly self-interested. But a person who has heavenly wisdom is pure from these selfish concerns. That's what he means. People who are into earthly wisdom, it's all about themselves. People who have heavenly wisdom is pure for such considerations. Ooh, do you understand? Number one fruit of heavenly wisdom, purity from resentment, selfish ambition, getting my own way. Woo. Second aspect of heavenly wisdom. Heavenly wisdom is peace-loving, right? That's what verse 17, we're still in verse 17. Heavenly wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, which means peace-loving. Let's have a clear biblical understanding of peace. Biblical definition of peace is not tranquility. You know, when people say, I pray about it, and and I know it's God's will because I felt peace about it, because I felt tranquil about it, that's not the biblical definition of peace. Biblical definition of peace doesn't have to do with how you feel at a particular moment. Biblical definition of peace is mending of broken relationships. One of the clear realities of sin are broken, like broken, fragile, fragmented relationships. All of you listening to me right now, I'm pretty sure have fragile, broken, fragmented relationships. That's the nature of sin. Peaceable people strive to mend broken relationships. Look, all of us were once earthly, 
All of us were once in it for ourselves, and therefore, we hate people that disagree with us. We hate people that disapprove of us. We hate people that mistreat us. We hate our enemies. We hate them. We're, most of us are Koreans, and so we're really passive-aggressive about it. You know, how do we express our hatred? We don't talk to them, but we throw, like, snide comments, and we gossip about them. That's the Korean way. Right? But that's, but being peaceful is opposite of being resentful. You're striving to build relationships that are broken. Wisdom from heaven makes you peaceable, makes you strive to build, to mend broken relationships. Sometimes those broken relationships take years to mend. But your calling, wisdom from heaven, you strive to build broken relationships. Person who is wise in heaven strives to do this. Why? Look, let's think about the gospel of Jesus Christ. What did Jesus come to do? He has come to forgive us who were once enemies of God. All of us were once enemies of God. And Jesus has come to bring peace, heal the relationship between us and God. Do you understand? Look, you know, last week, Pastor Eugene's sermon, we did David and Goliath. We had a really good time in a small group, right, Sean? Discussing this, right? We're discussing, right? And Pastor Eugene last week said over and over and over again, right? When you look at the story of David and Goliath, you got to understand, you're not David. And he said it multiple times, you're not David, you're not David. And I said, yeah, I'm not David, then who am I? And I had a eureka moment. In the story of David and Goliath, all of us think that we're the Davids of that story, but no, no, no. Biblically, we are not Davids. We're the Goliaths of the story. <gasps> I, was, I, was, I was wishing Pastor Wujin was, I mean, he said, like, we're not David, we're not David, we're not David. And I said, Pastor Wujin, say we're Goliath. Say we're Goliath, Pastor Wujin. But he didn't go there because he's nice. In the story of David and Goliath, we're the Goliaths, we're the enemies of God. Goliath is a symbol of the enemy of God. Guess what? We are the enemies of God. We're the Goliaths. And Jesus is the, and David is a Jesus figure. Jesus has come to save enemies of God so that our relationship with God can be mended. That's his mission. That's the religion that we believe in. Do you understand? That's what Jesus says. Love your enemies. He says, what good is it to love people who are good to you? What good is it to, to people who, are, who show you favors? Even unbelievers do that. Jesus said, but my disciples will love their enemy. Why? Because Jesus, our master, is the peace giver between us and God. Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who actively try to make peace in this broken world, for they shall be called sons of God. Jesus says, how do you know you're a son of God? How do you know you belong to God? Are you a peacemaker? God is going to throw fragmented, fragile, 
hateful, disapproving people in your life. Question is, what are you going to do about them? Are you going like, to, are you going to, like, do the Korean way? Like, not talk to them, and yet to your spouse, like, throw all sorts of insults toward, like, against that person to your spouse? Is that, is that how you do it? No. Actively try to make peace. Look, what does the world say? The world says, I'm going to cancel you if I disagree with you. The world says, if you don't celebrate me, if you don't agree with me, right? if you inconvenience me, I'm going to cancel you. You are dead to me. Right? That's what the world says. But your Lord is saying, do what I do and make peace among broken relationships. Holy moly. Wisdom of heaven is peace-loving. Peace Wisdom of heaven is gentle. What, is it, what the word here means, gentle, means? I thought it meant what I thought it meant. You know how being like considerate, like you know, me taking my wife to the Genesis dealer, even though I'm never going to buy that car for her. Even though, you know, I was tired, but, you know, I said, my wife wanted a car, so I go, let's go. Let's go get a car. Let's go look at a car anyway, right? I dragged my tired body to the Genesis dealer. I thought, I oh, mean, I'm being very gentle this morning. That's not what gentle means, biblically. John MacArthur, I think John MacArthur did a really good definition of gentleness. The gentleness he, here he means, the gentleness is not just being considerate to other people, but it is a lovely attribute of a redeemed character and godly wisdom that is humbly patient, that is steadfastly gentle, that submits to dishonor, disgrace, mistreatment, persecution with an attitude of humility, courteousness, and kindness. John MacArthur's definition of gentleness here means when people are nasty to you, when people disagree with you, when people mistreat you, rather than fight fire with fire, you are cur cur courteous, you are kind, you are humble, you kind of endure it. This gentleness is highlighted. The best example of this gentleness is what? Jesus on the cross. People are nailing are beating him, are driving a spear through his side, taking a nail and piercing his hands and his feet. They are mocking him. They are spitting at him. But what did Jesus say to the Father? Did he say, oh, you just wait, suckers, I'm going to come back. Oh, you just wait, I'm gonna, the wrath of God is coming. Did he say that? He said, Father, forgive them, for they, not, they do not know what they're doing. The onlooker says, look at him. He's, even at this moment, he's praying to God. That's your Lord. In the, in the, in, on the, among some people who are physically killing him and spitting at him and insulting him, he showed kindness and courteousness, and grace. What does the world say? 
if you hurt me, oh, I'm going to hurt you back. Right? If you insult me, oh, I'm going to insult you back. That's what the world says. Heavenly wisdom says, be courteous and kind and humble in the midst of tribulation and affliction. Holy moly. Heavenly wisdom, I'm making time, Sean. Heavenly wisdom is open to reason. This means your ears are open to people. To be reasonable means not just be interested in airing your opinion out, but truly striving to listen to the point of view of the other person. All of us are arrogant and prideful. When we're fighting, we want to air our opinions to the other person. We want to make sure that the other person understands what I'm going through. We're busy just, right? Or like, you know, just pour our words on them. The person who's open to wisdom, I'm open to reason, open to a reasonable person is they listen and they really try to understand from the perspective of someone else, of the other person. Look, when I was a young man, I used to preach to my wife. And I was an idiot for doing so. My wife never changed because I preached to her. I did what I'm doing to you, to her, on a one-to-one basis, and it doesn't work, y'all. You know what worked? Lying beside her, and even though what she's going through made no sense in my mind, I probe, I ask her questions, I try to understand what she's going through. I had dinner with Pastor Ujin and Grace last week, and my wife bragged to Pastor Ujin and Grace. She says, my husband really knows how to listen to me. And I go, dang right, baby. Idiot PJ just was interested in just pouring my opinion, my perspective, my point of view on her. Biblical wise PJ strives to listen to, to, to her perspective. It doesn't mean to compromise truth. It doesn't mean that at all. But being gentle to someone else means trying to listen from their perspective. And it's really hard, y'all. Heavenly wisdom is also full of mercy and good fruits. Mercy. Mercy means what? Not treating the other person as we think how they, how they should, what they deserve, but forgiving them. Even though they hurt us, forgiving them. Not once, not twice, 70 times seven, which means until the cows come home. Someone asked Jesus, Peter said, Jesus, how, often, how many times do I have to forgive the person who wronged me? Jesus says, 70 times 7, which means unconditionally always forgive someone. Show mercy. Show mercy, be merciful to those who hurt you. 
Are you pure? Are you not self-interested? Are you not resentful? Are you gentle? Are you good at being kind and courteous and humble to people who hate you, who disagree with you, who hurt you? Are you peaceable? Do you strive to make men broken relationships? Look, my mom has like an arch nemesis, really. And that arch nemesis, even when I go to Korea, she tells me about her arch nemesis, like how, how, like how messed up the arch nemesis is, right? And she always asks me as a pastor's son, do I have to love her? Do I have to love her? And I go, I don't know. But my mom, God bless her, is still love, trying to love her. Even though that arch nemesis is causing her much pain, my mom strives to love her and still maintain that relationship. That is a peacemaker. Are you a peacemaker? Are you open to reason? Do you listen to other people? Are you, or are you just fixated on your point of view? Are you merciful? I'm, telling, I'm asking you this not to make you feel bad. If you're not, and I'm pretty sure you're not, I'm telling you, the only way for you to be wise is to be connected to the source of wisdom, which is God himself. You need the fear of the Lord. You know what I realized yesterday as I was praying for y'all? Really, I said yesterday I was saying, Lord, give a wow factor to Sean and Haran. And I, I was praying for a lot of you. I was mentioning you by name. Bring them sense of wowness of God. In order to bear these fruits of heavenly wisdom, you need to fear the Lord. You need to have a wow factor of God. Because when you're connected to him, God will give you these fruits. I'm amazed that Christian, Christians still try to do Christianity on their own. God has given you the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit does minister to you, does open your eyes to the wildness of God does lead you lead your heart to praise. He does. And when he does, he does give you this wisdom. But Christians, by, by self, self-defining Christians, they don't, they don't seek out the Holy Spirit. They do their Christian relationships based on their own limited perception. They're doing their relationship devoid of the wildness of God, and that is why their relationships are not working out. Guys, how do you become biblically wise? How do you become peaceable? How do you become gentle? How do you become open to reason? How do you become merciful? You need to ask God to fill your heart with the praise, praise of God. Your mind has to know God is, be filled with his praise, and be filled with praise, and after you feel, after your heart is filled with the praise of God, when you, then when you look at your relationships, these things happen. You understand? Look, I fight with my wife, that is often, right? Because I'm an old man, right? But every time, the source of my reconciliation with my wife, it's not her coming to me and saying, I'm sorry, right? I'm not very good at that, right? 
But the source of reconciliation between my wife is always, and it remains to be, I look up to God, and I look at myself, and then I want to go make, make, make up with my wife. Preparing sermons have helped my marriage tremendously because preparing sermons make me always look at God. When I always look at God, no matter what she's done to me, I can forgive and we can have a good relationship. What is the secret of a godly marriage? What is the secret of a good relationship with your parents? You need to praise God. Before asking God, how do I love her? Ask him to give you a spirit of praise. Know who God is through his word. Even if your spouse is an absolute like, jerk and not nice to you, go and discover who God is and make your mind be filled with who he is. Then your relationship will work out. That's how it works. Be connected to the source of life, which is God. Let us pray.